0: We were invited to this Noche de Hogar But we had a bunch of conflicting appointments that night, so we couldn't go Okay, so this is what we heard about that Noche de Hogar The three-year-old, Esther's three-year-old, was kind of walking around the middle of the circle and she was like Me siento mal, me siento mal. She was like, I feel bad, I feel bad. She was like, I feel bad seven years old, I encountered someone whose name I can't for the life of me remember, but whom I've never forgotten. My family had moved into a new place, and along with it, a new church congregation. Every Sunday, after the general meeting that included everyone was over, ward members would split up into Sunday school classes based on age. I was guided to my ages seven to eight class and met my classmates for the first time. A few boys, a few girls, only a couple of which whose faces I can still recall today. Among these was a boy my age, presumably, who wasn't like the other kids. For one, he was accompanied by an adult, his mom, I supposed. For another, he didn't seem to be able to introduce himself like everyone else could. The whole class, he didn't speak a word, but would sometimes bumble or let out a low scream. He'd occasionally shake his arms and bounce in his seat until the adult would whisper in his ear and calm him down. The teacher just kept teaching as if nothing was amiss and everything was fine, but I was fixated on this boy's strange behavior and admittedly, a little frightened. I didn't know what was going on here. I'd never really seen someone act like that before. Sometime after church had concluded I asked my mom what was wrong with that kid in my class. She was friends with his parents so she knew. She said he has something called autism. I asked why does he have that? It took a while before I became more comfortable in class. Often the teacher would stop to explain that this boy was perfect and that his condition was only temporary. It would last for this short time he was on Earth, and then in the next life, he'd be better. So gradually, I came to realize that there was nothing weird about this boy, and there was certainly nothing to be afraid of. Sometimes, I wish I was seven again. What is up, you brave souls, and welcome back to The Adversary Podcast. There are only three episodes left this season, and I promise these will be more intense than anything that has come before, because we're now ready to tackle a topic I've saved for last. Two months ago, in my very first episode, I mentioned that this subject would be addressed at some point, and today, I'm making good on that promise. So here we go. In San Diego, there's this attraction called the Mormon Battalion Historic Site. It's basically this tiny museum that commemorates the journey of members of the church who were in the military during the Mexican-American War and marched from Iowa to California. The trek lasted from July of 1846 to January of 1847. Anyway, the site is used today for educational and ministerial purposes. So missionaries, usually sisters, are stationed there, dressed up in pioneer clothing and acting as tour guides. The sisters can also be accompanied by a senior couple, which is just a husband and wife, most of the time in their 60s or 70s, that are missionaries as well. One day, at the Mormon battalion site, two sisters were greeting people at the front door of the visitor center, a regular duty of theirs. One of the senior couple elders was outside too, and he saw this girl on the other side of the road, walking and moving in a really bizarre way. She had dark hair, wore sunglasses, and had a generally disheveled appearance. She didn't seem to be going in any particular direction and at times would lie on the ground, crawl a bit, and then get back up. So the senior elder went up to the sisters and asked, Hey, do you want to go and offer some water to that girl over there? She looks like she's really drunk or something and might need some help. And the sisters said, Okay, yeah, for sure. So still in their pioneer dresses, they crossed the road and approached the girl. They led with, hey, how are you? We were just working across the street and thought we'd offer you some water or something. If you want to come sit down with us, we have air conditioning and you can rest a little. The girl's response was nothing. She just looked at them and didn't say a word. The sisters couldn't read her expression because of the sunglasses over her eyes. So they just stood there for a moment and waited for the girl to acknowledge them. But then the sisters got this weird feeling out of nowhere and to a degree they'd never really felt before. One of the sisters began to feel fear set in, for no apparent reason. The other sister decided that it was probably time to leave. She said, okay, well, if you don't need anything, we're just gonna go back to work. So they turned and started walking away from the girl. But this finally provoked a reaction. The girl called out to them and followed them very slowly. The words that came out of her mouth were unintelligible, not even a language. Now the sisters decided to run, crossing the street and returning to their posts. The girl eventually wandered off and wasn't seen again. But the next week, the sisters couldn't sleep at night. Recognizing what might have been going on, they called the elders to give them blessings. And only then did things return to how they'd been before their interaction with the strange girl. Two sister missionaries serving in San Antonio, Texas, dropped by to visit a lady they'd recently met. She lived in a super ghetto area, but it also happened to be the area the sisters lived in, so distance wasn't an issue. They went over to check up on her, see how she was doing, and share a quick message. But when they got there, this lady's friend was over as well. Naturally, the sisters wanted to seize this opportunity to share their message with a larger audience, so they invited the friend to join in on the lesson. It soon became clear to the sisters, though, that that might have been a mistake. While the lady that owned the house was pleasant and completely lucid, the friend was exactly the opposite. One of the sisters described her as, quote, high-key crazy and pretty sure she was wasted but that's harmless enough. Missionaries have to deal with those kinds of people all the time, that's just what happens when you commit to talk to everyone you run into. The sisters just tried to maintain control of the meeting, which was difficult to do after the friend started on some nonsensical rant. But then things... took a turn. The friend's drunken tirade about nothing in particular became more... pointed. She began to target the missionaries. She accused them of being false teachers, said that their organization and leadership was evil, and shared her own twisted beliefs, which she considered to be true. The room now felt icky and dark. The sisters could sense something impending. And just then, the friend's eyes went black. The whites of her eyes were gone, replaced by voids that stared back at the sisters. And then suddenly, as quickly as it had happened, The woman's eyes were normal again. The sisters exchanged glances and in that moment realized that neither of them were crazy. They had both just seen this occur, and the younger missionary, who was currently in training, was not prepared to witness something like that and be okay. They got out of the house shortly thereafter, and never returned. You may already have some hypotheses about what was going on in that story. Obviously, it's unusual to watch a person's scleras, the white part of the eye, be fully replaced by the color of the pupil. No drug will do that. When a person in our society exhibits odd behavior, the typical reaction is to wonder if they have a problem, whether they're on a substance or possibly have a mental illness. Ruling out the former, oftentimes we can tell whether or not the latter is the case by observing the way someone speaks or moves, or at the very least, we can make a pretty good guess that the issue is mental health related. In the vast, vast, vast majority of instances, that is the issue. For a long time, mental illness was not well understood and the treatment of mental illness even less so. Over the course of history, a variety of theories took shape to explain away the symptoms associated with diseases of the mind. Epilepsy, for example. What would you think if you lived in 2000 BC and saw someone having a seizure? It's only natural to want an answer as to why someone has dropped to the ground and is violently convulsing. If the source of a problem isn't readily apparent, it's much more convenient to make something up. Fortunately, 4,000 years later, we're more enlightened. We're more aware of the stuff that exists in our world and how it all works. Which means that when something today occurs that doesn't fit the mold of any learned precedent, we would tend to freak. My initial interaction with the girl that told me this next story was just great. I texted her my usual thing, got any spooky mission stories, and she responded with, You ever heard of the Goosebumps books? Those are all from my mission. I was intrigued to say the least, so I invited her over and had her tell me what she knew. The account you're about to hear is true. The Ecuador-Quito mission is one of five in the country. The mission boundaries encompass a mountainous, high elevation terrain that's home to many indigenous people. A sister missionary in this mission had been serving in an area for close to six months. She had formed good relationships with most of the members of the local congregation, and could tell how they were doing pretty easily by just looking at them or interacting with them briefly. One evening, and this was a Monday, this sister and her companion were invited by a member of their ward to attend a noche de hogar, or in English, a family home evening, that night. This member's name was Esther, or Esther in English, and she was hosting the Family Home Evening, or FHE for short, at her house. FHE is a term members of the church use to refer to a kind of activity night that's usually held every Monday by families and individual households. It's meant to emphasize family bonding, setting aside about an hour every week so families can enjoy some time together. Common features of an FHE include an opening prayer, song, a short lesson, game, and usually a treat at the end. Occasionally, several families will come to one house and have a sort of combined FHE, with the same premise. That's what Esther was doing on this particular night. In addition to the missionaries, she had invited some other members of the ward, one of whom was the bishop, to this FHE at her home. Esther's family consisted of just her three-year-old girl and another baby on the way. The whereabouts of her husband weren't clear, but he was probably in the picture. Esther herself was a leader in the young single-adult ward. She was super fun, energetic, and smiley. An FHE at her house sounded like a blast. But that evening, the sisters had a bunch of conflicting appointments and were already booked solid, so they were forced to decline Esther's invitation. Esther then extended the same offer to the elders in the ward, but they too couldn't fit it in their schedule for the night. So the people that ended up going to this FHE were the bishop, a bunch of members, a less active woman who was dating a return missionary, and of course, Esther and her daughter. The purpose of this family home evening was twofold. Number one, have a good time with members of the ward. And number two... (laughs) Huh... And two, help out this less active woman. It was known to some members of the ward that this woman and her boyfriend were heavily involved, so to speak. This had contributed to them becoming distant from the church and the ward, so they had been invited to this FHE to help fellowship them a little better, let them know that they're loved. In total, there were 12 to 13 people at this FHE once everyone had shown up. People chatted in the living room, sitting on furniture and chairs arranged in roughly a circle, while the bishop prepared empanadas in the kitchen. An auspicious start to what everyone believed would be a wholesome night in good company. Six days later, the sisters arrived at church for Sunday meetings. They did their visual inventory of the members, greeting each individually and noting anyone that may have been absent. Then they noticed Esther, who was there, but looked nothing like she did just a week ago. She appeared really... Weak. She had dark circles under her eyes. Sure, she was pregnant. Maybe that was taking a toll, but she was always super happy and outgoing. She was not herself today, and the sisters could tell just by looking at her. After the meeting ended, the sisters approached the bishop. They asked, Hey, do you know what's wrong with Esther? She doesn't seem like she's all right. The bishop said, Yes, I do know, and then proceeded to tell the sisters what had happened at Esther's home six days prior. Everyone was still seated in the living room and the bishop was still in the kitchen. Esther was talking with some members while her three-year-old roamed around inside the circle of chairs. At her age, she could form coherent sentences and was relatively good at expressing herself. But at first, since everyone was occupied with socializing, no one really paid attention to her when she started to say, I feel bad. She said it again, over and over. I feel bad. I feel bad. Finally, Esther was jolted out of her conversation when her daughter grabbed her by the knees and half-said, half-pleaded. Mommy, I feel bad. At that instant, the bishop, who'd been working in the kitchen this whole time, felt a presence. He entered the living room and raised his voice above the others. Everyone, there's something going on. The three-year-old continued to repeat the same three words. I feel bad. Esther was the first to respond. Okay, well, if the bishop is feeling this way, let's all kneel down here in a circle and say a prayer together. So everyone slid off their chairs and knelt down at the same time. Everyone. Except one. They all looked up to see that the only person who hadn't knelt was the woman, the less active. She was still sitting in her chair, her gaze distant, her face expressionless. And then they all watched, as a single drop of blood trickled from her nose. Suddenly, the bishop flew into a prayer, talking quickly and out loud. The woman's eyes rolled back into her head, and she began to speak as if she was someone else. Esther, who was kneeling directly across from the woman, was the target of what came next. We're coming to get you. We won't rest until you're dead. We're coming to get you. We won't rest until you're dead. The other members joined the bishop, shutting their eyes and praying fervently. The threats did not cease. We're coming to get you. We won't rest until you're dead. They all kept praying, begging for deliverance. The woman's speech slowed and slowed until she was silent. The room turned completely quiet. Then the woman fainted and fell over forward onto the floor. After this experience in her home, Esther stopped eating. She stopped sleeping. It became physically impossible for her to do either. Elders were dispatched the next week to her home to bless it. It's unknown if her situation improved following the blessing. Next week, we'll take a deeper dive into the subject matter and really explore the topic I've introduced here. Be warned, it will get intense. But I think that goes without saying at this point. See y'all next Monday, and we hope we didn't scare you away. The Adversary Podcast is hosted by me, Ethan Lars. Thank you again to all those who provided the stories for this episode.